Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. Very pleasant. Good morning to all of you. I suppose you know by now this is Mission Sunday. It's been announced several times. Brother Rodney Ratledge led a mission prayer. He's part of the missions committee. Brother Anderson led songs having to do with missions. And I was hoping DeMar would be in here to find out if that was a mission sermon or not. I, I didn't quite get that. I, tremendous. Masterpiece. Don't tell DeMar I said that. It'll go to his head. Nehemiah chapter 8. This is going to be a missions chapter. How can that ever be? Just hang around and see. Nehemiah's team had cooperated in building the wall. His wisdom had kept them safe. His knowledge had enabled him to deal with the Jewish brothers who were committing what they called rabbit, charging interest and getting favors they didn't deserve. God had always condemned that, and Nehemiah came back and told them that. Now in 52 days, less than two months, I think you figure that out, the city walls are built. Their job is finished. No, that's not true. Their job has just begun. End of building, beginning of the real work. In spiritual matters, foundational principles have to be right. If the foundational principles are not right, nothing is right. Now hang with me here. The West Huntsville Church of Christ has a good benevolent program. But that's not a foundational matter. You see, the Salvation Army has a better benevolence program. It really does. The West Huntsville Church of Christ has good music. I love to sing here. The Mormon Tabernacle Choir, when it sings a cappella, has better music. They sound better than us. Hmm. We have a good missions program. But we don't reach as many or have as many out there as the Jehovah's Witnesses do. Just a fact. So the Cults and denominations I spoke of must be better than we are. No, our foundational principles are different. As long as you're sincere and everything is good, God is good with that. No, he's not. Foundational principles are reverence for God and worship according to his will. If you don't get that right, you don't get benevolence right, 
You don't get missions right. You don't get anything right. If reverence for God and worship is not correct, everything else is going to be wrong. It doesn't matter that we might have hospitals, nursing homes, orphan's homes, whatever. Those things are good, but they don't stand on their own. It is not right. Now, it doesn't matter that Jerusalem has walls. It doesn't matter that all the bad people can be kept out. That's not a foundational principle. That's something that needs to be done in order to protect God's plan. Verse 1. Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate, that is, near the Gihon Springs. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. What do they want? They want the foundational principles. Why not say, listen, you're, you're finished. I mean, th- these walls are great. Jerusalem is protected. You don't have anything to worry about. No, they wanted the foundational principles. I want to ask you a personal question. How many Bibles are in your house? You say, that's a crazy question. I don't know how. I live by myself, and I have no idea how many Bibles are in my house. Have no idea. You don't know how many is in your house either. How many Bibles were in the houses of these people we're talking about now, back in Nehemiah's day? Zero. Some of them had never seen a Bible. It would have been a, the Torah on scrolls. Some of them had never seen one of those things. They'd heard their parents talk about what was in there. Might have heard a few lectures about them, but they didn't know what, they'd never laid eyes on one. Those things were very, very scarce. Only in synagogues, we don't even have a record of that in, in Babylon, but we believe they were there. These people had never read the law of God. They had never read the law of God. They had never been that close to a scroll, the Torah, it was called, the law, in order to read it. So they said, we won't hear God's law. So Ezra, the high priest, uh, the priest of the law, before the assembly of men and women, and all who could hear with understanding, on the first day of the seventh month, I, I need to stop here and talk a little bit about the Hebrew calendar, but just a little. I don't want to confuse you. I have a lot of things to cover. But the first day of the seventh month was the first day of the first month, really. It was the seventh month of the sacred year, the first month of the civil year. And this was the day of the trumpets, the feast of the trumpets. It was really the first day of Tishrei. That's the name of the month. The sacred month was Nisan or Aviv, either way. But this was Later, six months later, and this feast day, the day of the trumpets, began ten days, which was called the day of awe, the days of awe, ended with the Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. And then a little later, the feast of tabernacles. 
Now, he doesn't go into great detail here, but we're going to jump in just a minute from this first day of the year, the head of the year, to the, to the 20, to the 15th day of the year, I believe, the feast of ingathering when they built booths and so forth. A little confusing. Verse three. Then he read from it, that is the scroll, in the open square that was in front of the water gate, from morning till midday, before the men and women and those who could understand, ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So Ezra the scribe stood on the platform of wood, which they built for that purpose, and beside him there were several men. Now, I've already proved to you that I can name these men. Read those names, so I'm not going to do it anymore. Just confusing for our study here. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing all the people. And when he opened it, the people stood up. I really like it when the song leader says, let's stand for this song and remain standing for the scripture reading. I like that. Doesn't have to be done that way, but it shows a little bit of extra honor and respect for God, to me anyway. Ezra blessed the Lord and the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. Now, they are not at a football game. This is not a cheering section. That's not what it is. It is deep reverence and respect to God to receive his abundant blessings and to give him your life. That's the way the holy men in the Old Testament raised their hands. This is what they were doing. I love it. And then they bow their faces to the ground. There were the men there and the Levites with them that were there for instruction purposes. Verse 8, so they read distinctly from the book of the law and they gave the sense. That means they told what it meant. Had to do that. These people were not familiar with the law. They'd been separated from that. Nehemiah, who was governor, Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught all the people and said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. All the people wept when they heard the words of the law. It went right to their hearts. I was in a meeting not long ago, and someone said, Have you ever seen anybody weep during the Lord's Supper? Nobody said anything. I said, yes, I have. I've seen that. Verse 10. He said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day of the Lord, this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites did that. And then in verse 13, now on the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and Levites were gathered to Ezra, the scribe, in order to understand the law. And then they, of course, went from there, goes to uh, 
Verse 14, they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. That is, 15 days after the head of the year, they built booths. This was mandatory. God demanded that. And they dwelt there for seven days to honor God in the gathering of the crops. They should announce and proclaim in all the cities of Jerusalem, saying, Go out to the mountains, bring olive branches, branches of all trees, myrtle branches, palm branches, branches of leafy trees, and make booths as it is written. So the people did that. Down in verse 17, So the whole assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and sat under the booths, for since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, until the day children of Israel had not done this. And there was very great gladness. Now, if you read back in Ezra chapter 3, verse 4, that's earlier, a few years earlier, you'll find that it was kept there, but not fully and not by all the people. It says the whole assembly of those who returned from the captivity did this. Ezra had done it for those who were already in Jerusalem that did not go into captivity or that he brought out of captivity, but now he does it for the whole assembly as Nehemiah's people that had been brought out of captivity. Also day by day from the first day until the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days. That's the feast of booths, the feast of tabernacles. On the eighth day, there was a sacred assembly according to the prescribed manner. Now here's the point. That which, that which Ezra did on this occasion, that which the priests and Levites conducted on this occasion was not new doctrine. This was to restore the teachings, the law that God had given. Nothing was new about this. It was a restoration. And we need to get that a point in our mission, across in our mission work. That point has to be made. Ezra was in as much as saying, let us speak where the Bible speaks, or Nehemiah, I'm sorry, was doing this. Let us speak where the Bible speaks, remain silent where it's silent. He took the Bible, the law, and said, here's what it said, let's do it. And they did it. And we're pleased by it. Now let's roll the clock forward, calendar forward, many years. We'll roll it back from here to the year 1801. August, Kentucky, at a place called Cane Ridge. That's near Lexington. Something unusual was happening at Cane Ridge. And I'm going to be very plain so you get everything I'm talking about. There were several preachers, Presbyterian preachers, primarily, who decided they wanted to speak where the Bible speaks and remain silent where it's silent. The Cane Ridge building, which still stands incidentally, is very small. Not nearly as large as this building. 
But those preachers announced a revival and invited the community. Crops had been laid by. The farmers were available. And a crowd of not less than 10,000 assembled. Some say it was up to 30,000. I don't think the news media was there, so we can never know for sure. They can't exaggerate it, but between ten and 30,000 assembled outside to hear the Bible preached. And it was preached. Now hold on to your seats, because when people want to serve God and know nothing or little about the Scriptures, they might do anything. The preachers were very energetic. They were teaching strictly by the Bible. They had agreed to do that. This is what God says. I'll read this passage and explain it. And here are people who want to follow God. This incident is happening up and down the United States and other places. Ignorant people who were saying, we want to follow God. This was happening in Moscow, Russia. Go around and dig into the libraries in Moscow and you'll find this movement about the same time happening there. Going to England, you'll find it happening there. Up and down the small United States, we had not crossed the Mississippi yet. People were on fire for God. Virginia, there was a big movement up there and on up north of there. Absolutely amazing. Some of you will be interested to know, a few of you will be interested to know about Michael Faraday. Most of you have never heard of him, but the engineers have. Michael Faraday gave us the idea of, well, he taught us how to measure electrical capacitance, which makes electric motors. He invented the electric motor and then told us how to do it and how to measure it and how to use it. Michael Faraday was an elder in a church that had drawn away from the Church of Scotland. I've studied his life a great deal, and I believe that Michael Faraday, along about this time, was an elder in the Lord's Church. Absolutely amazing. Who taught him? He learned from the Bible. Absolutely amazing. What are these people doing? Well, they're doing what we're doing. When we go into all the world to preach the gospel to every creature, we do not take our preferences in doctrine. We take God's preferences. They were taking God's preferences. You know what dumb thing they were preaching that you needed to take the Lord's Supper every Sunday. Folks didn't do that in those days. Even Christian people didn't do that in those days. Why did they do that? I think they read the Bible. You know what else they were teaching? They were teaching that when we sing, we don't need to beat on anything or bang on anything. We need to sing from the heart. It's called a cappella music. Because they read the Bible. Speaking to yourselves. Psalms here, spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your hearts to the Lord. 
You know what else they believed? They believed that baptism should be defined as immersion. And I'm going to shock you right now. You know what baptism means? Sprinkling, pouring, or immersion. Well, James, I don't believe that. Look in the dictionary. It's exactly what the dictionary says. But, 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 yeah, you're right to say but. That's what it's come to mean. But baptizo, first century, meant immersion. Only immersion. And some of these men, as uneducated as you might think they were, had figured that out. That we need to teach immersion. We need to teach immersion for the remission of sins. That was a community that did not connect it here. That was a community that was having a problem with that. It was the immersionists and non-immersionists that were having a real fight over this. And they called in a scholar. He was a scholar. He was a Greek scholar to debate this matter. And he handled it very, very nicely so that everybody there was saying, I didn't, I didn't know that. I, I didn't know we had to be immersed. I thought any kind of baptism would do. He would say, yeah, any kind of baptism will, but it's just one kind. It's immersion. And then when he soundly defeated his opponent and the immersionists were so happy, he said, now <clears throat> I want to preach to you. Immersion is not a church ordinance. Immersion is not for the purpose of showing people that we have been saved. Immersion is for the remission of sins. Wow. Where did you get such an idea? Maybe out of Acts 2. Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. It's just that simple. It's just that easy. Our people here in the United States have gotten so used to seeing otherwise that they'll never understand the couple I met down in Argentina. As I sat at their table, they were devout Christians, according to their definition. We studied, and they both started crying. What were they crying about? The man looked at his wife and says, Honey, we're not even Christians. We just thought we were. We're not a part of the body of Christ. That's new territory. Ouch. In the meeting at Cane Ridge, one night they were going to have a baptism, or baptisms. They traveled to a river, and I've seen this river. My heart flooded with joy when I saw it. They went to that river to baptize a number of people. One of the preachers said to another preacher, my mother and daddy had me sprinkled when I was a baby. I have never been baptized. And the preacher said, I haven't either. All the preachers got together and none of the preachers had been baptized. They baptized each other. And then 
baptized those of their audience who wanted to be baptized. How could that be? I want to tell you something. I've studied the Bible since I was five years old. And Demar, I preached 58 years, by the way. And I still find things in that book I've never seen. I still make discoveries. I sit down with people who know the book and we learn from each other. And I love it. I love it. Cane Ridge. Teaching new doctrines? No, no, no. Just teaching the book. It's called restoration. That's just restoration. Several years ago, I was in Ukraine. Met a guy named John. Nice young man, 30 years old. Everybody else called him Father John. He had that title in the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. He was a priest. Just a great man. I never called him Father John. He never asked me to. And if he had, I wouldn't have done it anyway. I just called him John. He called me James. We had many discussions. And he'd shake his head and say, Never heard anything like this. Never heard anything like this. I said, John, I have a question for you. The Holy Communion that you serve, the bread and the wine, what is that? He said, well, it's bread and wine until I pronounce the Eucharist. And it becomes the body and the blood of Christ. I said, literally? Yes, literally. I said, that bread changes into flesh. Yes, the flesh of Christ. That wine changes into blood. The blood of Christ. That's what the Eucharist is for. It makes that transition. And again, I said, John, do you mean literally? He said, yes, I mean literally. I said, what would happen if I were there when you pronounced the Eucharist? And we had a lab technician. And I said, John, bring this bread and wine over here. Or bring the body of Christ and the blood of Christ over here. And let it be examined. What would that lab technician find? John looked at me like a deer in the headlights. In 30 years, he had never thought of that. He never answered me. But I know what he thought. He thought just like I did. It's still bread and wine. We talked a while longer. He reached in his briefcase and said, James, I'm going to give you something. He said, it costs you to get an invitation to come here, right? I said, that's $50. I think it's $50. Somebody writes me a letter. They have men set up to do that. You pay them and they invite you over there. They don't know who you are and don't care. They just want your $50. And he handed me some stationery from the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. He said, write your own invitations and send it in. 
I looked and that thing had a seal on it. The embossed seal. I felt it. I said, John, this is an official document coming from the Russian or from the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. He said, no. He gave me 10 of them. He said, they're for your use. I said, do you realize I don't believe what you believe? And you're inviting me here. He said, I'm inviting you here because you don't believe what I believe. And I want you to come here and preach it. Wow. What an experience. Restoration is never complete. The West Huntsville Church is engaged in restoration. Brother Colley, when he gets into his pulpit on Sunday morning, is restoring the church. He's pricking the hearts of men and women who otherwise might be going this way, bring them back. Bring them. This is what restoration is. We have to keep on doing that, like Nehemiah did, like Ezra did in days of old. We have to have good preachers, good teachers, aggressive leaders, men who get in the trenches and say, come and follow me. Not men who point to the trenches and say, sick them. We can't have that. Our elders are not that way. Our preachers are not that way. Thank God. With some regret, I'm going to read a Bible scripture to you. As I close in... Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Paul is on the beach about 10 miles from Ephesus and he's talking to the Ephesian elders. Acts 20, 28. Take heed. He will not see them again. He's going to Jerusalem. He's going to be arrested and he'll never be a free man again unless he does get out for a little while out of the Roman prison and comes back later and is rearrested. But he never comes back to Europe, to Asia. Take heed, therefore, to yourselves, elders, to all the flock among which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among you yourselves, among yourselves, among the eldership, among this eldership at Ephesus, Men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. In less than a generation, (laughs) far less than a generation, Jesus talks about the Ephesian church. He commends them for their labor. Their patience, their perseverance. And then he said, I have somewhat against you. You have left your first love. Revelation chapter 3. Seven churches of Asia. Ephesus is the first church he addressed. How sad. They had taught the gospel, but did not continue with the restoration of the truth of God's word. We can't forget it. We must continue with it. 
doesn't take long for us to apostatize. That's the reason God put good shepherds before sheep. They're always looking for a better clump of grass. And if the elders are not as they ought to be, the sheep scatter without knowing it. My grass looks better here. His grass looks better here. His grass looks better here. Her grass is better over here. And where's the flock? Oh, maybe we'll get together for a basketball game, but not for spiritual food. I can do my own spiritual food. How sad. Thank you, Nehemiah, for the restoration you did. And thank you, elders, preachers, for the restoration you're continuing to do in this church throughout the world. May God bless you. Let us bow. Almighty God, for the blessings we have in Christ, we give our thanks. And bless us, the West Huntsville Church, on this day that focuses on missions to proclaim the gospel of Christ in every way we can, wherever we go. Thank you for Nehemiah, his example, and help us to follow that course. Through Christ we pray, amen. Don't run in the hall. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.